Harrison Price for Friday, September 22nd, 2023. Coming to you from the Go Goat Sports Studio, built by Arbor Lee here at the iconic Wall Center. Downtown Vancouver, locally owned and operated for nearly 30 years. Just steps from the shopping on Robson, the dining in Yaletown, the vibrant West End, and every unique side street in between. Matt Sikers. Alongside Blake Price, Grace Sass, Hinton Switches, Conducting Things, this show presentation of Applewood Auto Group celebrating 25 years by giving you a chance to win $25,000. See dealer for details on that. I can assure you great deals on new Nissan Leafs and Rogues at Applewood Nissan Langley, Applewood Nissan Surrey, Applewood Nissan Richmond. The QX50 and the QX60 from Infinity you can lease from 3.99%. Of course, no charge maintenance packages. It's a huge month. They're doing an auto show October 1st at the Performance Center in Langley because it's all good at Applewood. Bodog poll question today where you're asking you, does Elias Pettersson's contract situation matter to you? Yes or no? You can vote at Sakarison Price on Twitter. Bodog, your source, free casino games. Poker strategy and sports odds. Caps licking their wounds on the Bodog line of the day from a 4-1 shellacking in Houston Wednesday. They're into Salt Lake City tomorrow. A draw, play, a draw pace plus 265 on your Bodog line of the day. I voted yes on the poll question, and I would have voted yes on the poll question simply from a fan's point of view and not just a media commentator. And I did so quite simply because... I like watching him play, and I hope he sticks around. To me, it's that simple. That's why the contract situation matters. He's entering the final year of his contract. The Canucks have two years of club control left, as we discussed. But as we know with these superstar players, if you don't have them extended as they enter their last year before unrestricted free agency, that's a very uncomfortable position to be in and many have just cut it off at the pass and decided, let's move on from the player, make the best trade that we can, rather than even dare risking him, risk losing him for nothing in unrestricted free agency. Yeah, I think we've seen these storylines far too often, particularly in the last couple of years with brand name mm-hmm. cornerstone players like Brady Kachuk, or pardon me, yeah, not Brady Kachuk, uh, Matthew. Matthew Kachuk. Uh, Dubois, Dubrinkit, who maybe don't quite measure up to Pedersen, but Kachuk certainly mm-hmm. does. But this Dubois and Dubrinkit are still huge players. Oh, still very good players. Um, you know, it's it's a relevant discussion. It oh, just yeah. is. And look, I, I get some Canucks fans don't want to consider that, particularly with the optimism and hope of a new season upon us here, right? Everyone's a contender in training camp. But they are cluing us, and not just Elias Pedersen. Thatcher Demko clued us this week as well with his do-or-die comment. For the core group, T. In McIntyre, I, I, I commend the Canucks uh, young core there. They're all basically saying the same thing. Like, you know, this has to be the year. And, you know, we've trotted out the phrase playoffs or bust several years in a row now because that's been the organizational mandate. This year, the stakes are higher. This year, the stakes are a whole lot higher mm-hmm. because you're running out of club control on Elias Pettersson. You're running out of patience with players and fans alike. Day two of training camp at Victoria at the Save on Food Center 
And Carson Susie is getting some run with Quinn Hughes today, Blake. Left and left? <gasps> yeah. Well, because Rick Tockett, for two days running now, has really uttered a preference for lefty-righty on every pair when they signed Ian Cole and Carson Susie on July 1st, two left-shot defensemen, but two guys who have played the right side. We did think that one of those guys would wind up playing with Quinn Hughes. Think that could still be the case, but it was Noah Juleson yesterday who had some run with Hughes at the end of last year, of course, and Juleson looked pretty good. He sort of reestablished himself as either an NHL or at least a fringe NHLer. He's he's a funny player because we I feel like he had some helium in the organization um, at the end of the year, yep. even into the start of the summer. But it feels like it's been like eight weeks since we uttered his name. Yeah, and nothing's happened. It's just he kind of just got forgotten in the last couple of months of the summer as we prognosticated. But yeah, yeah he he could he could stick up his hand here and say, "Hey, I'm I'm a part of this equation." And well, a small sample size of them playing together last year, but some of the best underlying metrics. Quinn Hughes has ever had uh, mm-hmm. shown for with a, with a partner. Yeah, and as we know, the Vancouver Canucks, um, they went out and they made sure they signed him before unrestricted free agency. He got to June 30th and the Vancouver Canucks said, no, let's get this guy re-upped. And they got him re-upped on a two-year deal. So, and a, and a two-year, uh, um, uh, well, a one-way deal. Yes. Which is also an important yeah. signal. Getting paid. So we'll see where Talkett and, of course, his defense coaches, Adam Foote and Sergey Gonchar, go going forward here with how they slot the pairs. But, you know, to hear Talkett talk about lefty-righty, it, it does make me wonder, does he think that Tyler Myers or Noah Juleson can hold down top four minutes? Because that is what you're effectively looking at if we are going to be rigid on left shot, right shot defensemen. If that's the case, then Susie and Cole are probably down the left side. And that means who do you trust? And of course, that wouldn't mean good things for Christian Wallan and Akito Hirose and some of the other contenders on the left side. But it would open opportunity on the right side not just for Juleson. We didn't think Philip Johansson looked very good at Young Stars, but this is Not a guy really who anyway. has played pro hockey. Yeah. yeah, down the road. And, of course, that further slots up Myers and whomever else may emerge on the right side. And it was interesting because yesterday, Matt Irwin, 35-year-old Victoria guy, but yesterday, Matt Irwin was the one left-shot defenseman playing the right side. So I don't know if you can take any clues from that. Mm. Other matters, I think. Honestly, that's going to be a blender the entire training camp and preseason, I think. Yeah, I think so. You know, I think they're so. They're going to take a look well, at every combo. And, and talk it also foreshadow. He told us. He said, look, you know, I'm into duos, and we're going to do some experimenting. So yesterday, and I'll use the word cookie because Pat Quinn once used that with me on a young player. I'm going to give him a cookie here. Let's we'll oh, see really? if he okay. eats it. I'm starving now. <laughs> Juleson was the only one to get a cookie. Nils Hoaglander got a chance to line up with Elias Pettersson and Andre Kuzmenko. Vasily Pogolson a chance to line up with JT Miller and Brock Besser. And R.D. Baines got a chance to line up with Pia Suter and Connor Garland. So, my question to you, Blake. 
has he declared his hand in terms of duos, Patterson, Kuzmenko, Miller, Besser? Uh, st- leaping off point, yeah. Yeah, I think that's the leaping mm-hmm. off point. Yeah, we're going to see how that goes. So then for you, and we'll assume McCaff is healthy and ready to go for opening night, may not be the case. Agent told us yesterday that, look, give him a few days, he'll be back. But assuming McCaff is good to go for opening night, who plays with Pedersen and Kuzmenko, and who are you slotting with Miller and Besser? I, I, I think one of those to start this season is going to be Pod Colson. I really do. I think Pod Colson is going to get probably that Miller assignment. Folks, we have an S versus P debate later where Blake is uh, arguing against Nils Hoaglander and thus for Vasily Podkols, and if you're wondering where this is coming from. Well, I... You honestly think that? I think Podkols, yeah. Gets, over over Hoaglander? Yes, absolutely. Yeah. And Bovillier. Okay. Really? Yes! Established guys that have been there and done that, they've actually proven it. I think, I think if Hoaglander makes the opening night lineup, he's going to be on the third line. I go back to the fact that Besser has to play with the specific kind of winger. You need somebody who can skate on the other flank because, as we know, speed is not Brock's strong suit. You need somebody on the other flank who's defensively aware, and that's McKayef. Plus, you need somebody on the other flank who can, you know, shoot the puck or create a little, do something offensively to to get the best out of Brock. So I'd line up McKayef with Miller and Besser, and I'd put both. Oh, we're incl- I didn't know McKayef sorry, was part of that equation. Yes. Sorry. Yeah. Oh, okay. If we're talking McKayef being a part of the equation, okay. yes, yes. All yeah. right. Okay. Yes, McKayev. What McKay- we have here is a failure to yes. communicate. <laughs> yes, yeah. Sorry, if McKayev's part of the equation, I don't think McKayev's there on opening night. So that's a, no. That, that was my. That was my friend. Right. We're okay. talking yearly. All right. Uh, yes. Exhale, Matthew. Uh, yeah, I would. I would put McKayev on that line. Yeah. With Besser and Miller. Yes. Yeah, and Bo- I would put Beauvillier then with Pedersen and Kuzmenko. I mean, that, that's a bit of a wild card. I, yeah. I, you know, maybe. They, like that's. I think that'll be the heavily thing is, auditioned. Is like, you know. Beauvillier is maybe not a sexy player. Beauvillier is far from a perfect player. Beauvillier had a long stretch there last year where he did a whole lot of nothing. And he had some streaky stretches as well. But the fact is he's a bona fide NHL winger. Mm -hmm. And top six might be too kind. Middle six at the very least. So it's almost by default there. I allow for the possibility that a Hoaglander or a Pud Colson or even a Connor Garland could have an amazing camp in preseason and get into that territory. But as we know, Garland's an unorthodox style of player. He hasn't really fit with any of your top six group in the past. Um, In fact, maybe his best fit was with Nils Oman at the end of last year with Dakota Joshua. So I'm going to keep Garland on that third line and and see if he can develop chemistry with Suter. Suter's known as a high IQ player, so maybe he can get something out of Garland that other centermen haven't. Garland is is in a bit of an enigma himself, isn't he? I mean, you have to sort of read between the lines on some players, and you know, to a degree, it's what the media is asking about that gets discussed. But often, coaches bring out names that they just guys that they just love, and I just don't see a whole lot uttered by the coaches or even management to that degree. Um, on guys like Beauvillier and Garland. Like, you know, are these two guys that are short for the Vancouver Canucks? Because 
They no just don't. Yes. Yeah. Pardon me. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> they just don't seem to occupy much headspace in the minds of the decision makers for the Vancouver Canucks. So I think Garland's well, going to be see, the last guy to get looks, I think. I know a lot of people thought the Islanders were trying to get a Beauvillier and he has to go in the Horvat trade to balance the salaries out, and I don't dispute that. But Alvin gave him a full-throated endorsement when he arrived here. Now, that could be a little bit of politics. You've made Justification first, for the trade. Yep. First big trade as a general manager. Yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah, you don't admit to the guy that you had to take. But I also do think that they were swayed by Beauvillier looking as good as he did against the Penguins in a couple of playoff series. And so I do think they feel like, hmm, if we get to the playoffs, this guy's an asset. I could see Beauvillier, I don't know, redeem is not the right word, prove himself um, over time here. Mm-hmm. Garland, I think minds are made up. I just, it's just, again, that's really not based on anything in particular. It's It's just my feeling. Because Garland has the hat trick in the final game to get to 17 goals, 29 assists, 46 points. That was six better than Beauvillier in one less game. Beauvillier had the edge and goal slightly with 18. Garland's stats underlying two are not that bad. Not bad, but Beauvillier played 16 16 on average per night. Garland was a minute and 10 seconds less than that. Yeah. That is a differentiator. Shift and a half. Uh-huh. Yeah. Yeah, we'll see we'll see what the, you know again all this is subject to change with the training camp and a summer to think about it for Rick Tockett. So mm-hmm. I think there's a clean slate ish for a lot of players. But every once in a while there's just going to be a player that sticks into the cry and not because of not because he's a, a bad person or a bad player but just every once in a while a coach makes up his mind quickly on a player and and it's tough to change that coach's mm-hmm. mind. Now, getting back to the defense just for a second. Mm. Do you think Jolson has a chance to be there opening night lineup? I think it's a chance. You don't give away one-way deals if you don't believe in a player to some degree. Mm-hmm. Um so I think he's got a chance. I think he's going to have to show really well. But, yeah, it's possible. I can say impossible. So speaking of Hoaglander and Pud Colson, because, look, I think everybody who roots for the Vancouver Canucks and everybody in the Vancouver Canucks organization is pulling for these guys to both take big steps forward this year. And as mentioned, Tockett gave them both some shine yesterday, playing them effectively as top six wingers in their group alongside the two big centermen and their likely duo mate. If I can, uh, that's not too redundant. Um, here's talk it on Nils Hoaglander. Yeah, I really I really rely on, I'll be honest, the average for coaching staff. Uh, I went to some games last year, um, so I don't know a ton. Uh, I talked to Travis Green uh, about him. He had him. So it's it's more piecing it together. So now, obviously, it's my eyes now. I want to, I got to see what he has. Um, but uh, like I said, I, I kind of like his. Uh, I like his first day. Yeah, it's a pretty good report card. I, I do wonder whether the lack of familiarity may hurt. Oh, Glenner. Well, yeah, he would have talked to Colleton enough. He said he talked to Green. No, but his first instinct when answering a question about the player is, "I don't really know," which makes first impressions all the more mm-hmm. important. Mm-hmm. I, ho- like I hope he had some one. good drills yesterday. Yeah. <laughs> Or he just needs to see more reps of him to give and, a detailed scouting report. And, and here's the other thing. Look, Nils, ha- Nils Hoaglander a couple of years ago in the bubble came on like gangbusters. House on fire was the story of camp, was the story early in the Vancouver Canucks season. As we know, that was a compromised, accommodated season. Not everything was quite up to 
regular NHL 82-game schedule, play everybody, travel everywhere standard that Mm -hmm. we now have gotten back to. After that, you had a coach who may may be one of the most forgiving coaches in the history of the league for defensive miscues, get on him about his lack of defensive prowess, and that was Bruce Boudreaux. And I still think Boudreaux made the defining and telling comment on Nils Hoaglander when he said, look, if you're going to play in this league and be a 20-goal guy, you better take care of the other end. You score 30, you score 40, well, then that's a different matter. I don't think, and I've never thought, Hoaglander to be that degree of scorer. No, no. And so the defensive side of that puck, and what does Talkett talk about all the time? Board battles, wall work. He's a smaller player, but he does excel in those areas. Elias was talking about how good he is in the corners yesterday. And, of course, I think this is also a little bit of a bone or a cookie, if I can use the word again, for Elias because he's quite close with Nils Hoaglander. So I do wonder whether this was also a little bit of, uh, hey, Elias, uh, yeah, we're going to put your buddy with you on the first day of training camp, give him the best opportunity to make the club for the bigger picture of getting his name on a contract. I still don't get why – what happened with Nils Hoaglander's game. Um, uh, granted, the COVID season was a weird one just in terms of the competitiveness of the division in particular. They got better on the wing last year, too, with the guys they signed. But the style of play, the whirling dervish style of play that Hoaglander played with the wall effort usually endears yourself to a lot of coaches. Mm-hmm. Even if you end up taking a dash on the shift, but you were noisy and digging, yep. usually that offsets even if you take a dash. You know, like... Yeah. A, well, um, but of course, the offense the offense dried up too. a little too last year in particular. Yeah, yeah. So here's Nils Hoaglander, and this is more a function of the Vancouver Canucks being so dysfunctional. Three years in the league, he's trying to impress his third NHL head coach. Take a listen. If you have different coach every year, it's like you have to show them and show the other one and show the third one. So. I think it's going to settle down a little bit better better this year, especially when I was in Abbotsford and, and show the coach there. And I know Taket watch some games down there too. So I think it's going to be better better now. Continuity. And here's, here's the really important thing, everybody. And this may not have been as um, top of mind. And in fact, I'll put myself on E's and O's because I think at some point in the last month, I referenced two more games for Hoaglander before he requires waivers. With the turn of a new league year. That disappears. He's now hit the threshold. So if they tried to send him down at the end of this camp or preseason, before the opening night roster line, uh, roster is submitted, he could be claimed on waivers. Yeah, And he'd for sure be claimed. Like a team like Arizona, bottom feeder is going to be all over him. Yeah, except everybody's in the same kind of boat, right? Um, now, bottom feeder with some cap space, potentially. Although he's not a particularly difficult cap fit. Or Yeah, it's more so, I think, the 50 allotted contracts. There's that, too. There's about. a lot of considerations. Did so, you know there's a couple teams that are right at 50 right now? Yeah, that doesn't surprise me. Yeah. Yeah. Or at least there was. Oh, look at that. I swear to God there was a team or two at 50 contracts uh, a day or two ago, but... Not showing any right now. Put me on E's and O's. So, yes, I, I don't think you risk losing him for nothing on waivers, which means if he has a poor camp, you wonder, is there a trade out there? Yeah. But he maybe. is certainly somebody who's going to have the spot shadow on him, I think, through these preseason games. 
The other guy's facility put Colson. And he skated with Miller and Besser yesterday. And Miller sees some ties that bind. Take a listen. I mean, I've definitely, I've had a lot of talks with facility. I'm not going to get the details, but, you know, it reminds me of me, um, you know, young and sent down and having to learn how to play the right way and learn how to play in the NHL. And, you know, I was a strong skater when I was young and a bigger guy like him. Um, you know, he's had to do a lot more in a sense of learning English and, and learning and understanding, but, you know, he's still so young. He seems like a mature player for his age, which is awesome. And, you know, he's going to, you know, he's coming and obviously he looks great again like he always does. So I'm excited to see him again this year. And that's a pretty and good. Like that's, that. that's a pretty good. Uh, you know, you talked about the Hoaglander opportunity. The second best opportunity is the one that Pod Colson's getting right now, playing with with Miller and Besser. Well, yes, and, and I also love the underlying conclusion there, kid. It's not just enough to be a big body you can skate, because they're both pretty big bodies, yep. and they can both skate pretty well. But learning to play in the NHL is the thing. For sure. I'd say the difference between the two of them at the same lower age and, and junction of there is based on what we have learned in our discussions with people and certainly read, for JT Miller, there was a feeling of hard done by. Yeah. And I don't think Pods has got that. I think Pods, if anything, has been hard on himself mm-hmm. and belief has been a bigger part of it. Right. So I, do- I think I think there's a difference in the confidence, self-confidence. Yeah. I also just think Miller is a better – I just think he's a more gifted offensive player. He's uh, more skilled in small spaces for sure. Plus can play the middle. Yeah. Which gives you another out in the NHL, which Vasily doesn't have. No. But, yeah, work ethic was a thing with JT Miller. Mm-hmm. Basically, Alain Vigneault let JT Miller know, no, you're going to be a hell of an NHL player yeah. on your natural gifts, or if you work hard, you can be a great NHL player. I think the Canucks have worked hard on building Pod Colson up and telling yep. him how good he can be to try to get that out of him. And and this is sort of what I loved about what Tockett did yesterday with Hoaglander, with Pod Colson, with Juleson, with Archie Baines on that third line is he basically injected confidence into all four of them and said, okay, we're not just going to give you an opportunity we're going to give you a little bit of confidence at the start of that opportunity. Yeah. And I think that's a very good runway for all four players there. Now, Archie Baines is going to make this team out of training camp or out of preseason. We know that. But many have said, Archie Baines, if he continues to progress like he did last year, where he was killing penalties and playing the defensive side of the puck after being the WHL's leading scorer, that's the sort of roadmap he needs to be an NHL player. And with regards to the other three, They are right there on the cusp. A little more detail to their game, and you're looking at full-time NHLers. If if Baines can get off to a good offensive start now that his habits have have Mm -hmm. been honed, yeah, I think he's going to be one of the early call-ups, I think. The BC Lions are in Edmonton tonight to face the Elks. As we know, BC can clinch a playoff spot with the victory, and they'll be scoreboard watching, of course, around the Canadian Football League as well with the two huge home games coming up, September 29th against Saskatchewan. And the Riders precede them tonight. They're in the nation's capital to face the Red Blacks. And then the big one, October 6th at BC Place against the Winnipeg Blue Bombers. Now, Winnipeg is off this week. So this is the game in hand that BC has over Winnipeg, trailing by one win. A win tonight puts the Leos even with Winnipeg. Alas, 
The tiebreaker right now would go to the Bombers because of that huge blowout victory that Winnipeg was able to get in the second meeting between the two sides. But BC gets the home game here. And Winnipeg is back at it next week against Winnipeg, if I'm not mistaken. Yes, the Friday night football next week is at Winnipeg. Blake, they have 32,000 tickets sold for that game already. Do they? Yeah. With the best in the East versus the best in the West. Four right now. Same lineup for the Lions. No changes. They're making a change at left guard. And they anticipate getting Dominic Rhymes back next week. Incidentally, tree falls in the forest. Does anybody hear? The Argos should be a massive sports story in this country at 11-1. and one. Like... They to, are in the CFL. You'd have to tell people to the yeah. diehards they are, but yeah. to the sports wow. fan at large, like it's eleven and one team. Been but there before. Wrong when, market to be eleven and when one. When you got Leafs at training camp, when you've got the Blue Jays in a pennant or playoff chase, yeah. and you got the Raptors who training camp's starting. Uh, well, yeah. not only is training camp starting, but I think there's people in Toronto thinking that maybe Damian Lillard is going to be a Raptor maybe. before before uh, their preseason is done in the NBA. So a lot happening. A lot of NFL fans, too. That's that true. Sucks That's the true. helium out. Yeah, Bills and Lions fans in that market. Uh, Detroit Lions fans. Uh, speaking of the NFL, no Bryce Young for the Carolina Panthers. The itty-bitty first overall pick is hurt. That means the red rifle Andy Dalton is going to start for Carolina, 0-2 Carolina in Seattle on Sunday. Chicago Bears legend Andy Dalton there, Matt. You know, that's unnecessary, Grady. We're running a little long here in the first segment to begin with. I'm sorry. It's been a bad week for my team. You may have noticed. Defensive coordinator resigned, had his home raided by authorities. Just find a a journeyman quarterback and say former former bear, and it's probably correct. Would be (laughs) franchise quarterback Seward as coaches before having to reconvene the media to say, no, 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 that's not what I meant. And they had under had a hundred thousand dollars of equipment stolen from Soldier Field. You could you could, could go commiserate with the Cowboys who lost Trayvon Diggs uh, in practice. That's brutal. That is so bad. You know, I picked Dallas to go to the Super Bowl out of the NFC, and and as I was formulating, thinking who who am I going to pick? It just seems like Dallas always gets the crushing injuries, whether it's Dak Prescott or other guys. Diggs played so well in that opener against the Giants, and of course, he's probably the best ball hawk in the NFL. I mean. He is a go-out-and-get-after-the-football cornerback. He's not one of these guys who's just, you know, looking to prevent throws, looking to tip the ball. No, no, no. Ball's in the air. He's looking to go get it. So that is really disappointing news. Well, I practice, too. For, I practice. When, when, when things happen in games, you know, that's, yeah. you know that's, that's, the, that's the game. Mm-hmm. But when it happens in practice. I, I suspect Dallas will go out and get a corner before the, um, before the trade deadline. Here's the thing about Seattle, though. They're really nicked for week two. Charles Cross, the left tackle. Will Disley, the tight end. DK Metcalf's playing through something. Three interior offensive linemen oh, are nicked. Don't like that. Then two corners. The safeties loving digs. Jaron Reed at the nose and, and Jordan Brooks, the linebacker. So they got a lot of guys playing hurt already. And as we know. Are those I'm, questionables or are those problems? Well, I think most of those guys are going to play. Yeah. We'll, I mean, we're only Friday here. Uh, and as we know, and if I'm not mistaken, Seattle lost to Carolina last year. And as we know, like every Seattle Seahawks game is the same, right? It's always close at the end. Mm-hmm. It's true. <laughs> it's, even their dominant seasons, like, like their uh, yeah, exactly. differentials they weren't gaudy. They just let teams hanging around and, you know, make sure that they struck fear into their fans in the fourth quarter. 
Canada, Jamaican, a big Olympic qualifier in women's soccer today. And this is it, right, for Canada. Well, it's a two-game aggregate. To Paris, a two-game yeah. aggregate against the against Jamaica, which, if I'm not mistaken, was sort of a rising side. That, yep, absolutely. absolutely has, has yeah. some helium going on in that program. And as we know... They had a nice World Cup. Canada is not exactly the happiest group of players right now. And they're ding too, speaking of injuries. This is the defending reigning Olympic champions from Tokyo who need to get out of this tie with Jamaica to make it to Paris. Yeah, I, I hope we don't see a oh, whole dug here in the boy. first game of this two-game aggregate. Like, mm-hmm. just give yourself and, some cushion. Uh, we uh, have some sourcing that the uh, Canadian team hotel was evacuated. Yes. Yesterday, friends, as you know, sometimes friends you, like Triano and Chris Manson could. could I, I, well, yeah, <laughs> I was going to say our friends who have played international basketball through the Caribbean, Central America, South America, yeah. and those who have played international football, and Dolan and, too, football yeah, as yeah, well. Yeah. Don't know full well when you go to some of these countries. Gosh darn it! There's going to be a mishap at the hotel. Yeah. I think Dolly's told me that on several occasions in El Salvador and stuff. Fire like alarms yeah. or you know, suddenly three a.m. Suddenly there's three hundred people outside the hotel. The band playing, yeah. Yeah, 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 exactly. What can you tell us about the Whitecaps lineup tomorrow in Salt Lake City for a huge one against Rail? Well, no injuries coming out of Wednesday's match, so that's good. It's on track for Atakubi to make an appearance, likely off the bench. Um, and then the only question is, after a forty unscheduled 45 minutes for Hoylet, uh, if Vanny wanted to use him 20, used him 45, does he deem Junior ready to start, or is it going to be another um, you know, 45, 30-minute performance for Junior Hoylet? So that will be interesting. They, they avoided uh, suspension for Kubis. He was on a yellow uh, last game, so he just took him out at halftime with them down a couple of goals. So it should be a pretty darn good 11, I think, and it should be an even better bench. Speaking of Hoylet, I saw that story that, uh, and I think he told Har this, that he was interested in TFC, but TFC wasn't interested in him. They didn't call anyway, yeah. I mean, there was no express, we're not interested, but they okay. just, they were silent. Well, I mean, yeah. they Speaks weren't volumes. interested through their actions yes. or yeah. inaction. That's interesting. It's too bad he wasn't good to go last weekend. And credit Toss. Toss was noisy and was a uh, diplomat in this decision. I heard you and Colin Miller uh, interviewing to St. Ricketts in the aftermath of the 4-1 on Wednesday against Houston. And and, uh, what, technically an ambassador, but somebody who's going to help out on the player procurement side when he can. Yeah, he's been a part of the national program for a long time. And to know Toss Ricketts is to love Toss Ricketts. Like, I can only imagine... Like, how do you say no to Toss? No. <laughs> Great guy. Jays couldn't pull off the sweep last night in the Bronx. They're now a half game up on Seattle and Texas for the final wild card, as we've been talking about all week. A massive weekend for the Seattle Mariners playing your direct rival in the AL West. Texas, the Blue Jays are in Tampa to face the best home team in all of baseball. And poor Alec Manoa is done for the year after receiving injections into his throwing arm. So, He's going to have to be a thing for next year, if that. The amazing part, Blake, Blake, is that the Toronto Blue Jays have, or at least did earlier this week, because it's very close uh, down to a couple of decimal decimal points, but 
The Blue Jays have the best rotation in baseball yeah. by ERA, even without the guy they thought would be their ace. Crazy. And the Seattle Mariners are second on that list, or at least were as of a couple of days ago. And and, and munching innings, too, the rotation, right? Like, they, they haven't had to worry about supplementing and long relief and that sort of thing. I mean, did you see Chris Bassett throwing... 200 innings? Well, I, I thought Bassett could be a workhorse starter for him. I was also a little bit concerned because, you know, that's a guy who's got to survive on pitchability. Like, that's not a guy who's going to go out and, you know, strike out eight to 10 guys each and every start. So I was a little concerned about that free agent signing, but he's been excellent. You got to hand it to Barrios yeah. and Kikuchi Those the way the they surprises. have to. The two of them have bounced back this year. I mean, they, and Gosman's just a stud. I mean, Gosman will fall short of two hundred, but um, they could have two two hundred guys and one guy yeah. knocking on the door, which is you know that's quite a milestone in this day and age. In when this we're day and age, ma- yes, managing innings and we're managing pitch counts and everything that we're doing to preserve arms. Uh, I guess Brewers can't is, get there. He'll be which, those, there. There's going to be three guys in the high one eighties, one nineties. That's pretty impressive. And Ryuk, which is why Ryuk. I was so critical of Seattle at the trade deadline. When you have a staff like that, and of course they had a damn good bullpen too, and it was mm. even better when Seawald was there. When you've got a staff like that, you can win a baseball postseason series. It's not like hockey where you need somebody to score, even if the goaltender stands. On their head, you know you're going to score some runs in a postseason series. To have a staff like that, have a bullpen like that going in. And and look, I think you could argue that both Seattle and Toronto have pitching advantages going into these series on the weekend. If they can get in the best of seven series, all the more advantageous, obviously. But that's uh, a couple of rounds away. Right. And Rio, too. He's been really good. Rio's been very good since coming back. Quite right. Uh, In fact, uh, even Green... The reliever. I, he had some struggles early coming back, but that's another power arm uh, in the back of the bullpen. Okay. Big announcement here. We got a rink wide post game coming up on Sunday. That's right. Remember to the put Vancouver that in my calendar. Canucks <laughs> begin their preseason Sunday night. And we've got coverage for you on rink wide with Jeff Patterson. Blake will be sitting in with Jeff. It's a uh, 5 p.m. Pacific start, and it's. On Sportsnet, this is one of the televised games. Then Wednesday against Edmonton. That's a 6 o'clock start. That one is also televised. So you'll be sitting in with Jeff Mm -hmm. on Sunday. And rink-wide, getting ready to go here for another season of post-game podcasts. Yeah, should be interesting. There's some battles. We talk about the the depth battle. So uh, I think the roster is going to be... Reasonable. You know, like there's going to be some guys that you want to see, even for game number one of the preseason. Time for today's menu brought to you by AG1. And uh, speaking of rink-wide, you can go to drinkag1.com slash the Kerrison Price or slash rink-wide Vancouver to unlock a special offer from AG1 to be your foundational nutritional supplement. We'll talk to Jay Pat from Victoria and the Save on Foods Center as the Canucks undertake day two of training camp. We'll get to some hashtags, the best and worst of Twitter, including a very brave Russian NHLer. John Shannon will stop by playing to talk to with John, including, hey, does everything have to go right for the Vancouver Canucks to make the playoffs? Is it do or die for this group, as Thatcher Demko said? Patterson going in the final year of his contract? The trade this week to Smith for Pearson. As well, a full throated endorsement 
from a native of Oliver that the Canucks should take their training camp all around the province in future years, even with a practice facility, even with the renovation to Rogers Arena. S versus P as well. Does Hoaglander start in the opening night lineup? Happy Hour brought to you by Yellow Dog Brewing, Neighborhood Brewing, Workshop Spirits, and Yellow Dog has been brewing up a little surprise. Angry Otter Lager. It's a crisp, clean, and crushable lager enjoyed by dogs and otters alike. You can find this tasty brew at all Angry Otter locations. End of the workday. Treat yourself to a Yellow Dog neighborhood for a workshop spirit. No matter what you're buying, folks, when you're out in the world looking for this, that, and the other, I think you want to support businesses that you feel good about supporting. You can feel good about supporting the Applewood Auto Group. Uh, They've made the car business and communities around them a whole lot better with their work in the community. Go and find out why it is indeed all good at Applewood. Visit them online anytime at applewood.ca. Eric Price from Wall Center presentation, Applewood Auto Group. Every morning I wake up, unplug the Mitsubishi Outlander, and count my lucky stars that I get to drive this fabulous vehicle. Still haven't been to the pumps in the city. Had to get to Penticton, that's it. Folks, go take one for a test drive. You can see how amazing it is. Maybe they'll let you even uh, play around with the power mode. That I have just recently discovered. Take one for a test drive during their 25th anniversary party, too. You might win 25 grand. Head to the Richmond Auto Mall, Applewood, Mitsubishi. Bodog poll question Does Elias Pettersson's contract situation matter to you? Yes or no? You can vote at Sikerson Price on Twitter. Bodog, your source, free casino games, poker strategy, and sports odds. Bodog, line of the day for me. Atlanta Falcons are 2 0. The quarterbacking hasn't been all that good. And the Lions already have that big win in Kansas City for throwing the game away against Seattle. They could have won it. I'm going to go Detroit minus three on your Bodog line of the day. Joined now by our Canucks reporter, Jeff Patterson of Rinkwide, who is there at the Save on Foods Center in Victoria. Jeff, how goes? Yeah, it's going well. Uh, it's been a good couple of days here in Victoria. Hospitable folks. I think people are excited to have the Canucks back. They were here in 2019. The Canucks played a preseason game that year against the Calgary Flames. No preseason action in this building, but uh, they will see a scrimmage on Saturday morning. There's, there was a lot of people in the seats in the, the footage that I saw there that you provided uh, on the rink-wide socials. Who's in those seats? Is that is that brass? <laughs> is that fans? Is that a swell of media? Who's, Selling who's tickets, there? baby. Yeah, I think primarily fans. Yep. I mean, the Canucks, obviously, they've got their management group uh, here to evaluate, along with there were eight coaches on the ice for the first day of sessions. It's uh, it's unbelievable, the, the pupil-to-teacher ratio. Uh, but in terms of who's in the stands, yeah, just a, a very supportive crowd. And, and Jim Rutherford spoke about this on Wednesday when he was asked about why the Canucks are one of the few teams that continue to take their training camps uh, you know, abroad or at least uh, far afield. And he said, we know the power of this brand in this uh, province. Uh, yeah, they're the Vancouver Canucks, but like the BC Lions, they see themselves as a provincial brand. And so a uh, little bit of outreach and uh, people here in Victoria have responded through the first couple of days. It was also nice just to see a, a like a real scrum. Like they were like they're, uh, <laughs> like everybody was there, right? The, the two major networks were there. I heard Farhan's voice in the scrum. Like it was that was like an old school media scrum there around a lot of the players. 
Yeah, not sure Elias Patterson thought it was so great no, to see a right. scrub, but uh, <laughs> to each their own, I suppose. But again, this is the start of training camp. This is the start of the hockey season. We know the Canucks matter, not just in Vancouver, but people in our business will travel, obviously, to cover them wherever they are, for the most part. Maybe not so much on the road this year with cutbacks. But uh, yeah, the start of training camp, lots of media here, lots of uh, local Victoria media, TV and uh, newspaper mm-hmm. uh, print people as well. So that sort of added to the, the swollen number uh, that made up the the media guild here uh, questioning these Vancouver Canucks. Who has caught your eye so far, Jeff? Well, I think the, the big storyline uh, to open camp was Nils Hoaglander and Vasily Podkolzin. Where would they be placed? What kind of opportunities would they be granted? I don't want to say they're given opportunities, but you know these are guys that the Vancouver Canucks need. They need to step up, and they're under contract. They're both relatively high draft picks, and we know that last season was uh, bordering on disaster for both of them. So to see them put in a position to succeed, uh, Hoaglander on the top line with Pedersen and Kuzmenko, I mean, what an opportunity for him. And Pod Colson with JT Miller, a guy that he's familiar with, he started his very first training camp out in Abbotsford a couple of years ago on the wing with Miller. He had Connor Garland on the wing then, but uh, Brock Besser was on the other side yesterday. But, but I like that because... Rick talking had options. Rick talking could have started either one of those guys with Jack Stunica and Sheldon Dries and said, hey, these are NHL guys. You know, you know, if you want it, like earn it, work your way up. And instead, they decided to go the other route, which was put them in a position to succeed right off the hop and prove that you can handle it, can hold on to that spot. And we'll see as the weekend unfolds and into the preseason if they get chances to play preseason games along with those line mates. But uh, for me, that was the big story. And then, of course, who was going to partner with Quinn Hughes? And uh, on day one, at very at the very least, it was Noah Juleson, which is interesting because, you know, all summer we've been talking about who's going to be Quinn Hughes' partner and will it be one of the left-handed newcomers. And Rick talking again yesterday, you know, spoke at length about – he's not unwilling to do it, but he sort of has to be talked into, you know, using a pair of lefties together. He really wants the lefty-righty combination. And Noah Juleson didn't look out of place with Hughes last year in the limited time that they had together, and then his season was ended due to injury. But for Noah Juleson to get, uh, you know, firmly entrenched in that spot uh, as training camp unfolded, you know, maybe the left side is already in place, and maybe it's been there since July the 1st with Cole and Susie and Quinn Hughes as your left side guys. And maybe the more intrigue then is what does the right side look as we work our way to opening night on October 11th? Yeah, and does that mean Tyler Myers is top four again? Does that mean Juleson finds his way uh, to stick around with Hughes? Wow. You're right, though. He threw a lot of bones to young players. Juleson, Ho- uh, Hoaglander, uh, even Archie Baines yep. uh, on a would-be third line. Je- Jeff, when you shake it out, when you look at what they're going to look like on opening night, do you have Hoaglander and Pod Colson in the Canucks lineup? Now that Tanner Pearson's been moved along, I mean, that's one less body, one more obstacle that uh, they don't have to leap over. I I certainly think that there is a path there for one of them, Matt. I don't know about both. Rick Tockett is a guy that, he knows the importance of a quick start. I I thought it was fascinating to hear him talk about how he was candid when he said, like I asked him, I said, how much do you know about Nils Hoaglander, the person and the player? Because remember, Hoaglander got sent down, didn't get called back up where Pod Colson did finish the year uh, in the National Hockey League, but Hoaglander spent the bulk of last year at the American Hockey League level after Talkin took over, and Talkin admitted, like, I really don't know. I mean, I went out to Abbotsford, I watched a little bit, but he said, I've leaned on people. I've talked to Travis Green about 
this player specifically. And of course, Hoaglander broke into the NHL under Travis Green a couple of seasons ago. And then he said he leans on Jeremy Colleton. And, you know, it does sound like uh, Tockett and Colleton have formed a pretty good bond so far. Tockett has said, you know, you're not fringe in this organization. Like, you are part of the coaching staff. You just happen to work out in Abbotsford. And it does feel like, uh, you know, he trusts Colleton, he respects Colleton. And, and so I think Rick Tockett is leaning uh, on Jeremy Colleton a fair bit for advice on some of these players that he isn't all that familiar with, and Hoaglander's one of them. Any, anything else stand out just from, uh, you saw those organized skates before training camp. Did these look any different than that? Did anybody seem faster? Did anybody seem bigger? Anything like that as you, as you watch the day unfold? What struck me, and I mentioned the fact that there were eight coaches on the ice, like Rick Tockett, does love to teach. And that's not to say that other coaches that have been here haven't. I remember we used to make a big deal at Travis Green and his one-on-ones with players out on the ice at game day skates. And, you know, I'm sure Bruce Boudreaux had his methods and maybe behind closed doors, but Rick Tockett, and it goes back to that second game. Remember they got bleached in Seattle and he talked about maybe I need to, you know, go back to boot camp with these guys. And the next practice, he was blowing the whistle and stopping things and walking guys. I mean, that's just who Rick Tockett is as a coach. And so we saw a lot of that yesterday that, you know, he would do a drill. But if he didn't like what he saw, you know, he wouldn't scream and yell and bark at guys, but he would blow the play dead and he would get right in there. And there was like one-on-one instruction, go over to players and sort of, you know, indicate with his stick and his gloves, you know, what they were supposed to be doing, where he wanted them to go. Uh, a lot of work on the whiteboard between the drills here. I know that they've been doing a fair bit of video prior to each of these sessions so that players are familiar with the kind of drills that uh, they're looking uh, for them to, to go through and that there aren't slip-ups and, and delays in that regard. But Rick Tockett still, you know, whether it's training camp, whether it's uh, regular season practices, uh, there really is a teacher in there, and he seems to embrace that part of the role. And so that was one of the things that stuck out, stuck out to me was just the sheer number of guys that were out there. And, of course, it's Rick Tockett. It's his NHL coaching staff with Adam Foote and Sergey Gonchar and Mike Yo. You had Daniel and Henrik Sedin. You had Jeremy Colleton and Ian Clark, the, the goaltending coach. So uh, lots of guys in tracksuits to go along uh, with all the players that were geared up in full equipment. A lot of goaltenders. Um, yes, what, yeah. what, what did that look like? It was a, a, a coach per goaltender almost, uh, based on your description there. Uh, what, what did that look like? Did that look like a like a mess, uh, or did it seem uh, organized and, and anybody stand out? Yeah, I mean, this really was, like, I know that we build up training camp and we're looking for battles and those types of things, but it really just looked like a midseason practice yesterday. Again, uh, a lot of drills, uh, five on five. There was no special teams work that's going to come here later in the weekend. Uh, so it was really hard to evaluate. Uh, there was uh, a little bit of heavy skating towards the end of the practice, but even at that, it was built into a breakaway chase kind of drill. It wasn't, you know, lining up on the goal line and doing the, the bag skate the way that... Uh, no, you were levy in the corner scenes. Yeah, there, no. there was none of that, and, no. and nobody looked like they were legging far behind on day number one. Again, mm-hmm. they... Uh, you know, Rick Tockett laid down the law, and it seems like guys took that to heart. We know about Kuzmenko and his offseason, and you know, I think guys have reported here in shape, and uh, you know, there was every indication of that on the first day. To your question about goaltending, I mean, the thing that really jumps out is Casey DeSmith, who, you know, what a whirlwind 48 hours for him to get word of the trade and then make his way across the continent, get to Vancouver, and then, oh yeah, now you got to go to Victoria for the first day of camp, but he's here, uh, sounds happy to be here, talked about how excited he was to get a chance to work with Ian Clark, and the thing that jumped out is he's still wearing Pittsburgh Penguin colors. So, uh, you know, don't exactly match the blue and green of the Vancouver Canucks, but uh, you got to go with what you go with. It's broken in, it's uh, game ready, and until he gets uh, Canuck-colored gear, 
Uh, he's going to stick out like a bit of a sore thumb. He said a rainbow, in his words, uh, with black and white and yellow equipment. But he's not alone. Ty Young plays for the Prince George Cougars. He's the youngest of the goaltenders that they've got here. And, of course, his gear is all black and red to uh, fit with the theme of his Western Hockey League team. So, you know, it's not uncommon to see that at a National Hockey League training camp. You know, the guy that I continue to watch, I mean, I have no real issues or questions about Thatcher Demko, uh, Arthur Silovs and Spencer Martin here, but Nikita Tolapilo uh, really is an intriguing prospect to yeah. me. And now with all of this clutter in the crease and you add Casey DeSmith, you know, there's only one net to, to defend on any given night. So uh, I'll be interested to see what they do. I know that management was asked the other day about the possibility of three goaltenders out in Abbotsford. Yeah, that's always a sticky situation. Again, uh, not enough nets to go around and you want guys uh, to get reps in practice. Uh, and of course, they all want to play the games as well. But Tolapilo was good. He won both of his games in Penticton. You know, he's not a young star. He's 23, and he's got a couple of years of professional hockey experience. But uh, six foot six, he fills the net. And so I'm just curious to see, as he advances, you know, are some of his weaknesses exposed facing shooters at this level, or is he going to be up to the standards and the challenges? And I would say, uh, you know, through the first couple of days of training camp, at the very least, uh, like most of the goaltenders here, he's looked pretty good. Jeff, uh, the other goaltender, Demko. The do-or-die comment. Pretty interesting. Yeah. I'm wondering your take on that. And did he just say it in more blatant terms than what Elias Pettersson has been sort of maneuvering towards as he stick handles these questions about his contract? Yeah, I mean, it was a blunt comment, but he's not wrong either. Right? I mean, it is go time. Pettersson's going to be 25 here. Quinn Hughes is about to turn 24. You know, JT Miller is now 30 years of age. This is this core group. Demko is part of it. He has to stay healthy, and if he can, we know that he is nibbling on the fringes of being in the Vesna conversation. He got Vesna votes, or at least a Vesna vote a couple of years ago, and then last year was a total write-off, but it is go time. He's got three years left on his contract. Beyond that, Quinn Hughes has four like, they can't just keep spinning their wheels. And, of course, uh, the big contract is Elias Pettersson. And, you know, again, I know a lot's been made about the big bad media and the, the, the question, like, how dare. That is the storyline and has been all summer long. It was our first chance to talk to Pettersson on day number one. Of course, that question was going to get asked. So, uh, you know, first rule of journalism, guys, and you know this, is, Ask the questions, right? We ask the questions. You don't know what kind of answer you're going to get unless you ask the question. Like, Pettersson could have said something like, hey, my agent and Patrick had a good discussion yesterday. Or he could have said, I am shutting this down right now. You know, you just don't know without asking the question. But all of those answers would be stories in and of themselves. And so yesterday, he tried to play the distraction, non-distraction thing. But again, this is like, he's a young guy. This is a massive life decision for him, and it's foolish to think that, you know, in some of his quiet moments, he wouldn't be pondering his future and those types of things. And this question is going to, it's not going to get asked every day, but this no. is the first chance that we as the local media had had to talk to the star of this hockey club that we all cover and follow. And so, of course, that question was going to get asked. But I just think with where those guys are in their age curve and contractually, like, damn well right, it is go time. So I'm glad to hear Thatcher Demko uh, verbalize that, and we'll see if they can live mm. up to that now once the season gets going. Tockett said that he's uh, a Scotty Dome, uh, Bowman disciple when it comes to duos and that he would done, do some experimentation. So I know Nils Hoaglander has a lot of fans, but day one, and we'll see where this goes. Um, he had Pedersen with Kuzmenko. I think we all agree that's likely a duo going forward mm -hmm. after their success last year. 
So does it stand to reason, Jeff, JT Miller and Brock Besser are a duo, given the way he had them lined up yesterday with Putt Golson on the other flank? Yeah, I mean, I, I think early on, until there's reason to go away from that, now uh, Ilya Mikheyev is a complete wild card, and more so now that he's on personal leave. Like, you know, he was already going to be a guy that I, like, I wanted to see him skate with the C group just to see where his mobility was, but then they grant him the personal leave. Uh, I don't know that he'll be here in Victoria at all. He may catch up with the group. Uh, when they get back to the mainland, but he was already behind the eight ball in terms of readiness for opening night and, you know, what can he contribute after being off as long as he has been and now not to get in even skates at uh, training camp, I-, I think just muddies the water a little bit. So, you know, Archdeep Baines, you mentioned him on a line with Pia Suter and Connor Garland, you know, is that just a nod to a nice Young Stars event in Penticton last week and a guy that, uh, you know, by Tuckett's own words after the first day, you know, another player that he doesn't know a lot about, but he said that from what he's heard, like, you know, he's sort of coming around that uh, Archie Baines is, you know, people in the organization are very high on him and that uh, he thinks that there's a player there uh, for the Vancouver Canucks at some point. But is he just a placeholder? You know, where does Micaiah fit in all of this? And then a guy like Anthony Beauvillier had to kind of look at where he was on the board yesterday, and he was a little lower in the lineup than I think uh, perhaps he would have anticipated and maybe some others, uh, given that he spent so much time with Pedersen and Kuzmenko uh, after the trade last year. So you're right. I mean, it's impossible not to read into things. That's just what we do in this business when they line up after, uh, you know, an off-season of talk. But, yeah, I mean, I, I think it looks like Brock Besser and JT Miller are likely to get the opportunity to start together. And that's where I thought maybe a guy like Ilya Mikheyev, if he was in full and perfect health, could be a defensive conscience, add a little speed on that line, get in on the four check, try to turn some pucks over uh, so that JT Miller can do you know whatever he can with them, set up Besser. Uh, but, you know, I, I just, your guess is as good as mine now is uh, when we're going to see Ilya Mikheyev involved uh, in full group participation uh, here with the Canucks. And, and Jeff, if this lingers into the regular season, then I, I believe a top six winger role is going to be available for a Hoagland or a Garland totally. or a Pod Colson or someone like that. I mean, if, if Mikheyev is full go, I suspect your your top six wingers are pretty much set with uh, Mikheyev, Beauvillier, Besser. But October and, and 11th seems early though. to suspect that. Like well, it, I, We went from a log jam to two guys out of the mix, for, and I'm just saying out of the mix for October 11th. I think that it's, that's a pretty safe yeah. assumption at this point. Don't you, Jeff? Yeah. I mean, you know, it's funny. Like, we wait all summer for training camp, and it kind of feels like for years we've said, oh, the preseason's too long. It's just six games this year, so it's shorter than it has been. And, again, Mikhail's not playing Sunday night, so scratch one. Like, is he going to get any preseason action in? And at this stage, like, it's hard for me to imagine – that he's going to be a participant in the preseason. Then there are a few more days. But, yeah, I mean, October 11th is going to get here before we know it. And if he's not ready to go, then without a doubt. I mean, if you're Vasily Podkolzin or Niels Hoaglander, like, you have to be monitoring that situation and have it in the back of your mind. But, uh, yeah, I mean, Beauvillier as well. And maybe Tockett has a sense of what Beauvillier can do and some of the places that they could utilize him. But it kind of felt on the first day of training camp, at the very least, that – like the welcome mount was being whirled out for uh, Hoaglander and Pud Colson to really put their best foot forward here uh, to try to stake a claim to one of those spots on the wing on the top couple of lines with this hockey club. Lowercase welcome at uh, WNM, yes. yes. Um, the, can we just I appreciated make, the drop. Yeah, can we make the <laughs> assumption the bottom six is going to be better? 
isn't it? Like, this should be a pretty decent bottom six here, both down the middle and on the wings, because guys like Hoaglander, Pud Colson, Beauvillier are all possibilities, certainly on the third line, and maybe it even leaks as far down as the fourth line. Yeah, and I think they've upgraded down the middle as well with P.S. Suter, certainly. And then Teddy Bluger, when they signed Bluger, I think we all questioned, you know, can he be a 3C or is he better suited to be a a fourth-line center? And for a couple of weeks, he was the third-line center, at least the de facto third-line center, but then they went and were able to get Suter under contract. And so, uh, you know, P.S. Suter, there's been some consistency in his game. It's only been three years in the National Hockey League, but either 14 or 15 goals, uh, you know, with two different organizations and the Blackhawks and the Red Wings, neither one of them has been particularly good in his time in the league. So, you know, when you think how much of an opportunity Nils Zaman had there last year, uh, Sheldon Dries was used a, a fair bit. And, and look, Sheldon Dries, I think, has a role as a depth guy here and can provide offense. But, uh, you know, the underlying numbers weren't particularly good for him defensively. And so Bluger brings a defensive conscience. I think Pius Suter is probably the best third-line center that they've had here uh, in a while. And so, yeah, not only the options on the wing, and we haven't talked about a guy like Dakota Joshua. We know how much Tockett liked his game and thinks that there's more there that they can peel away some of the layers of the onion and continue to build him up. Uh, you know, Phil DiGiuseppe is here and just doing his thing yet again, another big body that uh, Rick Tockett seems to like. And, and so, yeah, they've got options, uh, and options are a good thing. But I also think that uh, with the additions down the middle, that they they are a better hockey team on paper, and of course the game is played on ice, and guys are going to have to go out there and prove it. But but I do think that uh, subtle upgrades—they didn't have a lot of money to spend in the off season, but I do think they spent it wisely. And we're going to start to find out if, in fact, that is the case here in the next couple of weeks. Yeah, maybe the best third line center since Brandon Sutter had that good, healthy season back in 2016. 2017. Poor Brandon wasn't very healthy Back after, on the ice, after yeah. that. Uh, Jeff, marvelous stuff. Thank you for this. Enjoy all the action there in Victoria. And uh, we got a rink wide coming up on Sunday. Yes, a post game. How about yeah. this? Yeah, looking forward to it. Uh, myself and Blake will be delivering the goods and getting back into the swing of post game. Yeah, it's like the old times. Doing post-game Just like old times. <laughs> we'll catch back up on Secure Some Price Monday. Thanks, Jeff. Sounds good. Secure some rights from Wall Center presentation. Apple at Auto Group. Hashtags the best source. Twitter.com brought to you by Jason Hominick of Jason.Mortgage. And a reminder, Jason doesn't just do residential mortgages. He does commercial mortgages, too. If you're a business owner looking to buy your building, a builder, developer looking for options beyond beyond your bank get jason's expert opinion find him at jason.mortgage i have so many good ones today at pr underscore nhl he's very proud of his hashtags i, I wish we could do a half hour hashtags today mm-hmm. while 18 year olds are not unheard of in the nhl it is rare for them to break into the league and produce points will connor bedard join elite company and produce at least 1.00 points per game in his rookie season with the blackhawks who, What's the list? Who huh? are the three others? Gretzky. Nope. Gretzky was no point per game player in his rookie year. I I wonder if there's a, a or fine was line not there. A rookie he was a rookie, the, yes, because uh, of WHA. because of the yeah. Wayne. Oh, okay, the Indianapolis, Indianapolis Racers. Yeah, got to be Mario. Nope. Uh, well, Bossy had the rookie goal record, so I'll go Mike Bossy. Nope. Sorry, points or goals? It's points. Points per game. In their rookie year. Yeah. 
As an 18 year old. As an 18 year old. Oh, right, right, right. right. Okay. Guy Lafleur? Nope. Dale Howardchuck. And so that's immediately where I went to go puff Mm -hmm. up my chest. 19. 19. Hmm. 18. Sid? Yes. Yeah. Lindros? Nope. McDavid? Nope. Oh, because he was injured, but that wouldn't really matter. Okay, give us a clue. Um, so one is modern day, a post, uh, lockout, um, post 0405 lockout. Yeah. Yes. It's a different, you'll have to be more specific. Uh, and one is, one is, I'll give you the decade It's a vintage eighties one. Yeah. But maybe given this guy took a while to sort of blossom into the leader that he was, this, this particular name might surprise you just of at this age, but I digress. Mm. Great player, but I, I picture, I pictured him more as a late bloomer, but clearly not. No, if he's yeah. putting up a point per game at, at not, 18. Not late bloomer, late, not a late bloomer, mid bloomers in my uh-huh. mind, but it's not, clearly. Did Ovechkin do it? Nope. You're in the age vicinity yeah. of the modern day one. Okay, hit me. Same team as Connor Bedard. Kane. Yeah. Patrick Kane. He was a point per game player at 18. He's an 18-year-old. Wow. And then the vintage- I remember all the hand-wringing about, can you take a guy that small first overall? And the vintage one, think of the vintage captains of our generation. Captains? Yeah. Huh. Come on. Who are, the, who are the vintage captains of our generation? Like for. Oh, Iserman. Great. Yeah. Wait, but doesn't that strike you? Because I thought Iserman probably took till he was 25 no, to sort of reach I his knew stride. He was a great offensive player right from the jump. But um, yeah, sometimes the, all the points DBY put up as a young guy are overshadowed I think they by are. all the two way play. As yeah, a that's right. Cup champion at Slava Malamud, of course. He'll tell you he's a math teacher from Baltimore, but a Russian hockey journalist who was banned, shunned from the industry by the Washington Capitals and Alex Ovechkin and his allegiance to murderous dictator Vladimir Putin. Nikita Zadorov becomes the first Russian NHLer to openly oppose the war in his interview with YouTuber Yuri Dude. Quote, I'm sorry for all the young guys. I'm sorry. Instead of raising the new, new generation, we sent them to die. I understand the consequences from my motherland. Word's going to come out and how they're going to react over there. But I think it's really important for people to know my point of view on that. And I think it's important for young guys, Russian players, to know it's okay to speak out. Boy, can we get them a coffee with Ovi when they go through Washington? It's great. Went on to say, I'm definitely aware of the consequences I'm going to get. I probably can't go back to my motherland where I grew up, my city where I grew up, and I'm okay with that. I know how it works over there. It's going to be big propaganda. TV channels are going to be talking about me and pushing the agenda, saying he's brainwashed by the West, that kind of thing. They'll say I'm watching CNN too much or something like that, but I don't care. It's clear view. You see bad and you see good things, and that's my opinion. He went on to say that the relationship within his family has been changed because of this dynamic. His parents both support the war and um, he hasn't been home. And he said he couldn't stomach being in Russia, sipping red wine, knowing a couple thousand kilometers away, there's all this death. Those are big boy decisions, honestly. That's really uh, big boy decisions, really mature, really... Uh, thoughtful, really brave decisions from Nikita Zadorov. You ever watch those clips of RT, the Russian? T- uh, Sometimes, yep. <laughs> what they? It is I mean, it's also crazy. It really is. Oh my god! Well, and, and especially because 
you know, at different points in this war, it has been going so bad for Russia that they sort of toe the line of things that aren't supposed to be said, almost like they can't help themselves, but they don't go too, too far or less. No. Anything be viewed as anti-Putin. You get shocked sometimes by the one guy that maybe goes out on the limb and says something kind of remotely close. And then sometimes they're all calling for nuclear war. Like, it's it's ridiculous. Uh, at Kevin Weeks, this is an important one because Weeks has got good sources. And we thought Weeks was a little bit crazy when he started the Atlanta uh, conjecture. And now the league is coming into line with that publicly and talking about Atlanta. This is not Atlanta. At Kevin Weeks. With three teams currently in California, could San Diego become the fourth NHL team there? The potential midway rising mixed-use development project would include a 16,000-seat arena. What would you fans name the potential club there? Hashtag hockey Twitter. Stan Kroenke, a big part of this uh, midway rising group, and he loves to fill venues with professional teams. So as I understand it, does Stan Kroenke still own the Avs, or does his children now own the yeah, yeah, I don't know. We'd and of to... course, he's married to a Walmart heiress, so I suppose there would be a way to fashion a second ownership group out of that team. Can I ask this? Mm-hmm. Is that a potential relocation for the Ducks if things continue to go poorly? Mm. Like, Anaheim's one of these franchises that does nothing on local television. No. Like, you got two teams in L.A., and you really don't need two teams no. in L.A. And that's the direction of San Diego, so if you're a diehard Ducks fan, maybe you'd to make the drive anyway. They would could argue, hey, it's all the same territory. We're yeah. just moving rinks within a given territory. Yeah, yeah, you could make that mm-hmm. argument. I mean, it, it, I'd have to do the ma- the uh, the, the uh, calculation. I mean, moving a a Bay Area team from San Francisco to San Jose or or what have you. I mean, those aren't easy drives either. So, well, did you hear Al Michaels yesterday? On mm. uh, so they have the overhead shot of downtown San Francisco, and I'll paraphrase, but he says, you know. We come and do these 49ers games, and the overhead shot we get is from 44 miles away. And Michaels is a Bay Area guy. Yeah. You know, he's like, we'd like to show you Levi Stadium, but what else are we going to show you? The San Jose airport? So he uh. seems a little miffed that the 49ers play in a stadium that's so far away from San Francisco, the downtown proper. Yeah. And then, and then um, uh, what's his name? Kirk Herbstreet asked him. Now, where was Candlestick? And Michaels responded very sternly, well, it was actually in San Francisco. <laughs> oh, yeah. Yeah, spoken like a San Francisco. Yeah. At rocketfan.ca, on the eve of a new WHL season, we reached out to the broadcasters in the five BC division cities for their prediction on the finish, 23-24. All five believe the Prince George Cougars will finish first in the BC division all five picked the Vancouver Giants to play second oh, nice. in the BC division. I know they have been pointing to this year up in Prince George for several seasons now. Riley Hyde, a second-round pick of the Minnesota Wild, is back. Cone Zimmer, a third-round pick of the LA Kings. And, of course, Ty Young, the Vancouver Canucks, mm-hmm. fifth-round pick. Goaltender will be there. And, of course, here in Vancouver, you got Samuel Honzik, the first-round pick of the Calgary Flames, who... Incidentally, boy, he cut quite a swath at that Youngstars game we were attending. That's a big boy. I like that player a lot. Yeah, and he's uh, when I first saw him last year in December, I was kind of like, okay, like big guy, but you know what else is there? To watch him, you know, 
dig into the corners and try and take the puck to good areas in that Youngsters game. I think the Flames have a keeper there. I saw three games last year for Hansik. One uh, early, uh, one uh, the Bedard game, and then um, in uh, in February. And the February game was a different different player. They get like guys developing before our eyes, and now they're going to yeah. try him down the middle too. So well, and uh, at the Bedard game, I talked to a couple of scouts there, and um, both of them brought up Hansik without me asking. Mm-hmm. So. He had helium through the course of the season that got him into the mid-first round. And that's just good old-fashioned improvement, I think. I I just think the kid worked hard. And with the size. And improved himself. Honestly, folks, go on and watch Samuel Hansik this year because I think he could be a superstar in the league someday. I really do. I think he'd be uh, a lot of fun. At Fresh Hockey, here are the results of our NHL logo ranking survey. Um, And because he's a stats guy, Fresh, he's broken it down. Yeah. by demographics as well. And it's fascinating to see, of course, because the spoked bee, the Philadelphia Flyer logo, you know, ranking super high amongst the older folk. Young folks just don't care. They just they just see a bee. They don't they don't care. Number 1 logo overall, the Detroit Red Wings, ranks super high amongst every demo. Mm-hmm. Phoenix is number 2, Arizona number 2. Although, despite a very low ranking for the 50-plus crowd. And fleshing out the top five, the Penguins at three, the Habs at four, and the Minnesota Wild, who I think oh, wow. most people lambaste. And again, older demo hated the Wild logo. Younger demo loves it. Who's last? So last place is the Anaheim Ducks. The Washington Capitals just be ahead of them, and the Dallas Stars just ahead of them. By the way, and they were pretty much uniform. Their ranking didn't change according to demographics. The Yorka Canuck logo, twenty mm-hmm. third overall. Mm. Not universally liked. No, I'm bigger on Orca than most. Yeah. Wow, well, I can't believe that Arizona ranking. <laughs> I, I, I don't get I, I it just, either. I, I think it's. I think there's some ironic love I, for it. I will it, use but, a Blake Price term. That's a minor league baseball logo. Yeah, it is. Yeah, and too that, intricate. And that's hashtags for today. Joined now by the former executive producer, Hockey Night in Canada, co-host of the Bob McCowan Podcast, Mr. John Shannon. How are we doing, sir? I'm great, boys. How's Friday? Hmm. Oh, Fridays are always good. We're always in a happy mood talking to you now because you're on Fridays or have been on Fridays. Don't worry, that'll change. Don't worry. Yeah, (laughs) and it will, actually. But uh, players are on the ice wearing (laughs) NHL crests, John. It's a good time of year. Yeah, I'm, give me another month, okay? Yeah, uh, okay. Weather, weather, weather's too good. Uh, the weather's too nice. Yeah. Uh, you know, it's, we should be out there hitting the ball still. And we are, John. <laughs> and we are. <laughs> they, um, they just can't. We can't. Yeah, right? exactly. Yeah, yeah. Now it's our yeah. turn. Um, Jim Rutherford this week saying everything needs to go right for the Vancouver Canucks to make the playoffs. It made headlines here in Vancouver. Do you do you agree with him? Do you, do you see much margin for error with this club? Well, I don't see any margin for error. Um, you know, I mean, the, the Pacific division is, a, a, is going to be a tough division. Uh, 
I, I mean, you tell me how many teams are going to come out of the Pacific to, to get to the Western Conference playoffs. Um, it, two things that I know. First of all, I, I do think Jimmy's right. If, if, if everything aligns and you get quote-unquote career years from some of your stars, particularly the guy in goal, then this team has a chance. It really does. It, it has a chance to make the playoffs. The, the other thing, and this is just an observer from 10,000 feet, uh, this was a really serious Jim Rutherford. Uh, I noticed an air of, okay, there's no BS going on. We're going to, you know, and, and whether that's him feeling some pressure or feeling that that's the way the message has to be delivered, I saw a level of seriousness out of Jim where I think two years ago or even last year there was uh, a desire uh, to have a little bit of levity uh, and a, a little smirk on your face. I, I didn't see many smirks with Jim Rutherford the other day. That's interesting well, considering me, how well you know him. Yeah. Let me ask this. He's 74 years old. He amassed this huge staff fully with the knowledge that one day he was going to pass it on. Do you think this means that this could be Rutherford's last year if he does get this practice facility going? by the start of next offseason, as he hopes, that maybe he may just say, okay, job's done here. Patrick, you know how to run the club, and fades off into the Or what does he want to accomplish with this team, do you think? I think he loves having his name on the Stanley Cup. I I think that, you Mm -hmm. you know, here, you you know, as much as we think we know the inner workings of NHL players in any decade, there is a level of compete, pure and utter compete, that these people have that the three of us will never have, even on the golf course, we will never have what these guys, the, that's in their DNA, the desire to win, uh, the desire to push all the poker chips in to the middle. That's what makes these people different than us. That's what drives them to continue even into their 70s to want to win. The desire to compete, the desire to win is different in them than it is in us. And Jim Rutherford is no different. Jim, I know he's no different. He's a competitive SOB. He wants to win the Stanley Cup again. His name's already on it a few times. I mean, three by my last count. Why not a fourth? You want to be a fourth. He's in the Hall of Fame. Put a fourth time on the Stanley Cup. That's what this is all about for a guy like Jim Rutherford. Is the presidential job like the best job in hockey because it allows you to sort of throttle up and throttle down your involvement in the public eye, and and yet you're still there. You're, you're still getting your name on the Stanley Cup. You're still a part of the equation. I, I you know, I I think organizational charts have just shifted, Blake. I, I think yeah. a, a, a president in 2023. I've said this before. Yeah, a, a president in 2023 was a general manager in 1996. Right. You know, and, mm-hmm. you know, okay. how many times have you seen organizational structures of any company where they want to keep and keep promoting people? And but there's only one president. So now they have senior executive vice presidents on Tuesdays. You know, they they add titles in order. So this is just, you know, general managers are, you know, what we're assistant general managers, in my opinion. Mm-hmm. Senior AGMs. Yes. Yeah. Exactly. Wow. Yeah. Senior executive yeah. AGMs. 
I, I laugh at my partner's question yeah. because is it the best job in hockey? It depends who your owner is. Oh, there's I that. Yes. You're closest to the owner in that gig. You've got to report to the owner. So uh, I, I think all <laughs> of those gigs are different. Uh, Thatcher Demko says this is a do or die season for this group. John, do you concur? Could you see if not working out that somebody from this core has to go after this year? Well, I, I do think he's right. Um, but, but in many ways, I, I suspect that he's speaking not as much for the group as he is for himself. Uh, because I, I think that, um, uh, the pressure for this team to make the playoffs is squarely on his shoulders more than anyone else. We know this team can score goals. Uh, we do believe that Rick Tockett's system will allow them to play a better defense, but Thatcher Demko has to be Thatcher Demko of the bubble. And that's that's really the key. I mean, I know last year was fraught with injury, but even before he got hurt, he he wasn't you know at that same level. Demko has to be spectacular for the 60, 65 games he plays for this team to have any chance at the playoffs. Uh, and I and I think that in many ways that's what Demko means for himself and the and the group. And I think that's what Jim really meant. Uh, when he, I think, put the pressure on a lot of these uh, high-end guys on the club to know full well if if they don't perform at uh, you know at a great level every night, the Canucks will not have a chance for the playoffs. Yeah, that's an interesting point too because I think you know athletes are more aware than ever before of their career, where it goes, and how to extend it. And I, I think you're quite right that Thatcher Demko realizes that a uh, put-out fires virtually every night probably has a tax, probably has a toll with regards to well, his career. And, and 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 he's been the guy on the spot having to save the day and be Superman too often uh, in his life cycle here with the Canucks. Well, and, and, I, and I think that speaks to what they're trying to do on the defensive side of the puck, what they're trying to do to give him some more support in t- inside his own zone, whether that's Tockett's whole structure with the forwards being more involved in defense or just the you know the the realigning of of guys like uh, Ronick and and uh, and Cole having to contribute defensively. Elias Pettersson's contract situation um, he bristled a little bit about the questions uh, surrounding that, and yet of course for hockey fans that follow the league at large, they see Debrinket, Dubois, Matthew Kachuk, all RFAs to be all in the same situation the Pettersons in, um, ultimately leave the club. Uh, so there is a pattern there, whether Elias Pettersson wants to acknowledge it or not. Is that a pattern that will continue, do you think? Do you think RFAs will execute what power they have? Um, or do you think that was just an isolated streak there over the last 18 months? Uh, I, I think it was a, a little more isolated than people realize. Um, I think there was, a, for instance, for Matthew Kachuk, I think it was a confluence of things uh, that uh, that said, you know what, it's time to leave Calgary. Um, Pierre-Luc Dubois has never been happy anywhere he plays. What's to say he's going to be happy in L.A. a year from now, too? <laughs> you know, so uh, I think everyone is individual, and, and, and they mm-hmm. have individual traits. Uh, I, I'm not worried about the Pedersen situation. I really am not. We We do know if the Canucks can afford to keep him, they will. I do. I do believe that he likes playing in Vancouver. Uh, so you know, those two things tell me that uh, this onset panic, if I want to call it that, if it is that, I, I think might be a little overblown at this point. 
Trade this week, Tanner Pearson, Casey DeSmith, the Costa Canucks, the third-round pick, Gotham cap compliant. What did you make of it? Well, it's a couple of things. First of all, we know that Patrick and Jimmy are familiar with Casey DeSmith because of his time signing as a free agent in Pittsburgh and playing for the Penguins early on in his career. So that's the one side that, you know, you you know who you're getting. Um, we're going to see more of these trades during camp as teams try to get more camp compliant. This is unfortunately the, the reality of, uh, of the flat cap, you know, uh, you know, the cost, what was the cost for the Canucks was a third round pick. So what was that price? Was that a, a million and a half to $2 million for a third round pick? Well, we know a sixth round pick is $6 million. That's a, that's the last number that was traded to be cap compliant. So it, until we can get the cap closer to 90 and 95, then we're going to see this a, a great deal of the time as, as teams really still try to readjust um, from a time, guys, where they thought they had money to spend because everybody was talking about the cap getting close to 90 before the pandemic started. And guys getting eight-year deals before the pandemic started uh, and then it affecting it when it stayed flat for the last three years. So... No different than other thirty-one other teams trying to do it, I think. And I think that uh, in the end, I'm not sure where Tanner would have fit in in the Canucks long term. And I think that it probably just made some sense. Lastly, from me, John, and I'm wearing my British Columbia flag hat from the nine o'clock <laughs> gun, gun company. Is there a better provincial flag in Canada than BC's provincial flag? I don't think so. It has been number one in Who's my Who's got power. the lion? Nova Scotia? That's, yeah, that's no, not bad. Well, there's a couple yeah. of them. Uh, no, I tell you what, the new Newfoundland flag is mm. fantastic. It, it It's not the, it's yeah. not uh, it, it, the new one, not, not the one that uh, when they joined Confederation. But I have always loved the Sun and and uh, the Union Jack together. Right. I don't right. think you can argue with it. Uh, yep. I mean, it's it was always and something water that all too, of us took great pride. Oh yeah, and the water. And well, the we never water had water like sun. we never had water like that in the Okanagan. Boys, absolutely, <laughs> absolutely. Uh, I asked this not just to talk about flags and ours, but because Jim Rutherford said this week. And I guess Dallas is holding their training camp in Austin, Texas. But, of course, the Canucks in Victoria. Rutherford was asked this week, is camp still going to go around the province? And he said, well, next year Rogers Arena will be complete. And he does hope to have a practice facility good to go for the beginning of next offseason. Um, but for a guy who hasn't lived here very long, he said, I, you know, I'm paraphrasing. He said, I see value in bringing this club to the less populated areas of the province because we know they're Canucks fans and we want fans there to be able to reach out and touch the players and see the players and all that, that training camp entails. Uh, what do you think as a native of the province from the town of yeah. Oliver, what says you about the Canucks doing training camp around the province going forward? Listen, I, I, I want to see the Canucks in every corner of the province. I, I want to see the Canucks logo everywhere. Uh, you know, I'll, 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 my own political speech. I want to see the Canucks more involved in the BC hockey hall of fame. I want every time something happens in the hockey world in the province of British Columbia, there should be a Canuck logo beside it. There's no more um, idyllic region than the mountains and the ocean and the border. Come on. This is, this is a provincial team. Yep. 
You know, if you go to Kamloops, you go to Prince George, you go to Rupert, you go to where I grew up, the Canucks mean something. And it, it's, it is different than other places where there aren't as, as many physical boundaries. And I think it's brilliant to be able to say that. I think you sell your team to four and a half million people in the province rather than two million people in the lower mainland. That's it. There's John. something it, to be said for it. it, it it's basically small scale Toronto Blue Jays expand your market Raptors, by, yeah. by making sure you get on out there and touch. But different the decision areas was made for them, guys, when they don't have a practice facility. The minute they've got a practice facility, <laughs> that's just sitting there, and that's uh, that's the main reason why no they other teams do it. Get out but will the they? Is the big that, question. I know. Yeah, I know. Well, they, I tell you what, it should be part. It should be part of their marketing mantra every time they sit yeah. in a meeting. What do we ha- what, do? We care what happens in Kelowna. Do we hear, care what happens in Nelson? Do we care what happens, you know, in in Revelstoke? Hey, and the they answer did PG. Is, yeah, they, they, they did, did PG, PG several you know, years like, ago, and yeah. good on them. They've yeah. been in Whistler well, before, yeah, Victoria. Sure. So, uh, uh, absolutely. And the inspiration that it, the, the inspiration it will take, and, and it's it, it it may be a microcosm, but when you can say, you know what, when I was a nine year old, I went and watched the Canucks go to camp, and now I want to play for the Vancouver Canucks. That's it. And that happens that happens 12 minutes 12 years later. That's what this is all about, man. Hey, and, and the other thing I'll say is PG Fort St. John, that's contested territory right now cuz 97 from one province totally. away is winning over fans yeah. and of course we know at the lower right-hand corner of BC you've got some uh you got some singe marks from the team one <laughs> province to the east. Uh marvelous what, one one's a Goliath and yeah. one's just a small thing. I mean, yeah. <laughs> 97's a Goliath when it comes yeah. to fan bases. Yeah, that's exactly. for sure. yeah, one's an inferno, one's kindling yes. down in the yeah. southern part of the province. And incidentally, Manitoba and Ontario, it's the same damn flag with a smaller crest that's different. Your own province has a buffalo or a bison on it. And in Ontario, it's just a little bit of a, it's a flower. It's the trillium. I know. They should just focus sorry, on the bison. There's no it's a maple leaf. Sorry, there. my bad. It's a it's, it's a, a tri- it's a it's a it's a three twig maple leaf. That's right. Trillium yeah. is Ontario. Trillium is the uh, provincial flower, though. But yeah. anyways, no, you, guys, you guys, you guys, flunked Ontario. That in gra- you you guys flunked that in uh, grade eight, uh, both of you. Okay. Anyways, nevertheless, <laughs> we have the best flag. Shannon attests. Thank you, John. <laughs> Cheers, boys. Have a great weekend. Be well. Harrison Price from Wall Center presentation, Applewood Auto Group, and I'm in a much better mood for S versus P today. Mm. Oh, really? Why? Well, we finally got off the Schneid Blake Price. No split? It wasn't a tie? No, it was not a tie. We we got a win last week, and you know, if I do say so myself, a good win, and and, and here's why. Because it is harder to win S versus P when you're taking the more negative slants mm. on a question. Okay. And I say that because last week we debated, will missing the playoffs spell the end of the Elias Pettersson era in Vancouver? I took no and I won. 54-46% on Twitter, 27 to 20. But that's the positive thing. It means that he's staying with the Canucks. That's positive. Hold on a second. 
You argued yes, Pedersen will leave. Yes, right. Oh, they missed that's not what yes. you said. Okay. the playoffs. Oh, did I, for- I forgot what I argued. Right. <laughs> so I was making the case for Elias Pedersen going out of town, right. leaving town ah, after this year. Yeah. And yet I still got to win. So the way I see it, that's a road win. That's an underdog win. Mm. Negative media strikes again. So I'm 3-7-3 and three this year against uh, him. And, of course, S versus P brought to you by Layuna 1611, BC's Laborers Union. They have contractors looking for their members to hire today. Check out 1611.ca. Layuna 1611 has your back. Today's question, and I get the positive spin this week, will Nils Hoaglander be in the opening night lineup? Mm-hmm. I will argue yes. Blake will argue no. Two minutes per argument. Mediator Grady Sass presiding. And of course, everybody in the jury, we're not asking your opinion on this. We're asking you who constructed the better argument. Well, uh, coming off the win. Yeah, your choice. Oh, is it? Dealer's is it winners choice. out? Yeah. I, I didn't yeah. know it was winners yeah. out. I'll let you go first. Oh, thanks so much. Mm-hmm. All right, Blake, yep. your two minutes starts now. Uh, I know the COVID season was a weird one, but even still, I expected the Canucks had stumbled upon a player in Niels Hoaglander. 13 goals and almost 30 points in those 56 games was pretty darn good for a relatively unheralded second-round pick and just 20 years old at the time. And I think Hoaglander has done some learning since then. His AHL season was far more of what we expected to see from him, both in terms of production and habits, and that's according to those that watched him on a night-to-night basis. Normally, on many teams... This would be the year to see Hoagie cement himself as a full-time NHL player. Unfortunately, circumstances have conspired against him. Despite the absences of the now-traded Tanner Pearson and the rehabbing Ilya Mikheyev, there are still too many wingers for the Canucks in the roles that Hoagie needs. In particular, the top nine. In no particular order, Besser Kuzmenko, Garland Beauvillier, Joshua Podkolzin, Amon DiGiuseppe, never mind some of the older role players like Nielsen, Baines, Stadnika, and Dries. Not a lot of room there. And if they need to send one of those guys down in a couple of weeks' time after the season begins, it's unlikely to worry the organization that they'd lose those guys. But for a drafted prospect that they've invested time and money into, they don't want to risk losing Hogetown. He doesn't skip waivers anymore. Those days are done. Hogmeister needs to make this team and on his own merits and then stay there. And he won't grab a spot over the more ready, more pedigreed top 10 pick in Pod Colson. One more injury? Eh, we can talk. But he can't be in the press box. He needs to play. And to start the season, Hogarific's going to have to do that in Abbotsford. So he's going to pass through waivers and not get claimed. Is that what I'm hearing here? Very good deduction, mediator sass. And also, um, what what was that nickname you just dropped? Hogemeister? Folks, I should get your vote. I dropped about 10. Just on the basis of that last nickname. I tried out a bunch of different nicknames. Hogetown. Hogzy. Oh. Hoagie. Oh, no. Make it stop. Hogmeister. Plague, plague. Hogarific. The hockey bro in you came out for this one, eh, Blake? God. Just mm. trying them on for size. 
like venom in my ears. Mm. All right, Matt, mm-hmm. we digress here. Your two minutes begins now. Yeah, he's going to make the opening night lineup. We don't know McKayev's availability yet, not just with this family matter that has taken him from camp, but also his rehab on that knee. So maybe he needs more time. That opens up a spot. Tanner Pearson no longer here, less competition. But the big thing, and Blake touched on it, Hoaglander's no longer waiver exempt. The Canucks cannot send him down without losing him on waivers. And that puts him at least on the roster and that puts him very, very close to the lineup, given they'll only carry one extra forward, maybe two. And, of course, we still have camp and six preseason games left. There could well be an injury which cements Hoaglander in the opening night lineup. As it stands now, we know Besser, Beauvillier, Kuzmanko, Garland, Joshua, DiGiuseppe are going to make the team. That leaves two more winger spots if McKayef is hurt. Hoaglander has the edge on Pod Colson because Vasily can be sent down. He doesn't need to clear waivers. He also started camp, Hoaglander did, on a line with Patterson and Kuzmenko. That's better real estate than where Pod Colson started. So are they really going to put Nils Oman or Sheldon Dries in the opening night lineup out of position on the wing? Don't think so. Oman himself is able to go down without waivers. And I'll counter Blake and say that Hoaglander could, in fact, feature on the fourth line if that's where he needs to be. Better that than on waivers. I'm just not buying Jack Stanika or any of the young stars leapfrogging Hoaglander the next two weeks. So, yeah, Hoaglander is in the opening night lineup. The only question is where. Can I I ask you a question? Mm. No comment, just a question. Well, I mean, it's not procedural, but go ahead. What's the scene about when the absolute best time is to get a player through waivers? Be honest. Well, I mean, I think you'd get different opinions on that. Oh, would you? Oh, okay. okay. Some might say uh, before the opening night lineup, but... I'm only allowing this because you both left around 15, 20 seconds okay. on the board here. Thank so, you. Well, he asked me a question, too. So, mm-hmm. yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. Fair sides. There you have it, everybody. We uh, encourage you to vote. And of course, if you're watching on YouTube, hit that subscribe button. Good luck. Thank and you. vote below. <laughs> I just said that. Oh, well. He's doing a lot of parody. Vote so. again. They Bye. can only vote once, Grady. You Dems can thumbs it. Maybe change your opinion. Vote for Blake. Change it again. Go back to Matt. See, this it's is, okay to change your opinion, people. This is why he's a mediator and hasn't yet been promoted to judge. One day. S versus P, a presentation of Layuna 1611. BC Laborers Union. Check out 1611.ca. Layuna has your back. Surprise from Wall Center presentation, Applewood Auto Group. You can text us 778-402-9680. It's the Great Clips text message inbox, Great Clips. It's going to be great. Poll question results from yesterday. We asked you. Well, with regards to Elias Patterson, uh, sorry, with regards to Jim Rutherford and his comments about does everything have to go right for the Canucks to make the playoffs? Yes or no? What won the poll? Um... Yes. Yes. 58. 86. Woo! 90 on YouTube. Al says, hard to argue with that statement. Douglas, I mean, obviously, if everything goes right, you make the playoffs. Is that true? No. 
I, I don't think it is either. Oh. If everything goes right for the Anaheim Ducks, they're not making the playoffs. Well, I, I in a Canucks context, oh. even if everything goes right, you were 12 points back last year with a number of teams to jump. No, I think this is like a if good everything and... goes right for the St. Louis Blues at the same time as you, it's quite feasible that they're better. No, I'll I'll stay true to it that if okay. if they get a reasonable luck and and performance, I think if everything goes right, they make the playoffs. They're, okay. Yeah. Uh, Douglas goes on to say the key thing is starting the season ready to go, not playing catch up in November. Here, here, Douglas. Well, that's, yeah, goes the and then same. Chris says you could say that about every team in the league. No, you no no you, you can't. can't. As I just that's said, just patently wrong. No. Thing, tons of things went wrong for the Vegas Golden Knights and Colorado Avalanche last year. They were six goalies deep! They both made the playoffs, one won the cup. Chris is a good listener. I was surprised to read that. Yeah. Bodog line of the day. Sorry, E's and O's, because we do have some E's and O's from yesterday. Yeah. I know Dave Tomlinson knows, but he said the GM said everything must go right. Rutherford is president of hockey operations. And then it was Rasmus Anderson, not Oliver Shillington, that was acquired with the Vancouver Canucks pick in the Sven Berchi trade. Yeah, my association was just a lot of the hype as I went and looked at it. Mm. Uh, Lots of ink spilt about Shillington as a a possible Canuck drop pick. Anderson had much less ink and then just emerged into the NHL as a really good right-handed defenseman. Bodog line of the daytime with Blake Price. Bodog, your source, free casino games, poker strategy, sports odds. So you like what you got. Going back to an anytime goal scorer for the Caps game tomorrow. And uh, I, I think uh, Richie LeRae has been, uh, he's had a lot of shots on goal or towards goal at the very least. Has he opened his account as a cap yet? No, he's not. Oh. So I'm betting he does at plus 900. Are you calling the game tomorrow? I am not. On your Bodog line of the day. Thanks for listening, everybody. A reminder, subscribe to us and rank wide. We're Ever you get your podcast, follow on social media, Twitter, Insta, TikTok, Facebook, and YouTube. And, of course, support the community sponsors you hear us talking about. Keep it local.